What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Bulls podcast. My name is Bernie Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we always do. How are you doing, Rich? Man, I'm uh, I'm ill. I don't know if you can tell in my voice. It was pretty rough on the last episode as well, but yeah, I'm sick. It's going around. I think everybody's got it. Uh, all the Kings fans got it. You know, this team's <laughs> making us a little bit sick, but um, but yeah, we got a we got a friend in here today who can uh, do a little bit of the talking for me. I'll try to stay quiet, not not make you guys hear my nasally voice. Sanjesh Singh is here today from Sacktown Royalty. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I just got back from San Francisco and me and my buddies went to a mirror maze in the pier and I I was going into a pass that I thought didn't have a mirror and I stumbled and stubbed my toe pretty hard and I'm having trouble walking. <laughs> That's, that's like a great metaphor for the Kings season so far. Pretty much. We all thought one thing and then boom, back to the bottom of the way. <laughs> Pretty much. And I guess we can start with doing a little brief recap of this Pelicans-Kings game. Uh, throw a final score out there. Pelicans came out on top 117 to 115. Um yeah, I mean, Sanjesh, what were your general notes of this? We kind of said before we press record here, what well, was a pretty boring game for most of the time. Yeah, I mean, both both teams. I mean, it was clear that the Pelicans were on a uh, on the second game of back to back. There's no doubt about that. They hit some shots early on, and then they completely fall off the wheels, as expected for a team that um, against the Lakers were like losing by 20, like early in the third quarter. Um, the scoreline looks kind of more respectable than it really should. And then they came to Sacramento. And of course, even though they were on a back-to-back, they were the favorites to win, obviously, with how Sacramento plays against teams they should be beating with the talent they have on the roster. Um, the Kings missed, um, what was it, nine free throws? I think they went 26 for 35 or something like that. 75 percent, I remember. 27 for 36, yeah. Oh, okay. We missed it by one number each. Um, but yeah, they had free throw problems. I mean, if they make their free throws, they pretty much win the game, but it's just a game of what if. Um, Darren Fox was outplayed by Lonzo Ball, and that was sad. Um, not a surprise that Lonzo Ball is playing much better away from Luke Walton. <clears throat> um, yeah, it was, just a, it was just a pretty frustrating disappointment, but those that has been a common theme so far this season. I can't say I'm honestly too surprised. Man, yeah, that's a... That is a grim reality staring us in our faces. Um, as you mentioned, the free throw problems, a lot of that was on Fox. He had six of those missed free throws, went to five of 11. And that's coming off an eight of eight. 
Yeah, um, I guess exactly. that So some inconsistency there for sure. And yeah, what really alarmed me was the minus 21 from Fox, perfectly mirroring Lonzo's plus 21. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, Lonzo outplayed De'Aaron Fox in this game, which is not what has ever happened in their careers. Uh Yep. Yeah, and, you know, shout-out to Harrison Barnes in this one with 30 points on 9 of 12 from the field, 12 free throw attempts as well, knocked down 10 of them. Um, And one interesting thing to me here is I thought the Kings were shooting the ball pretty well, and they had a season low in three-point attempts, only shot 21 of them compared to the Pelicans' 45 like to me, the offense was the issue in this game. I think the Pelicans have a pretty high-powered offense, but their defense is really lackluster, and the Kings just couldn't take advantage of it. And they made twelve of their three-pointers too, right? They're twelve of twenty-one. Yeah, they shot a good percentage, fifty-seven exactly. Right twelve of twenty-one. And, I mean, all they have to do, like you just, if you make your free throws, then you win the game. It's pretty much that simple. But of course, when a lot of things go right one way, like Harrison Barnes uh, jumping out with thirty points. And then you're making your threes, and then you fall asleep with your uh, free throws. And then they're having a pretty good, successful run with lower turnovers for a few games. And then they go back, and then they turn it over 21 times to a team on a, I think it was 21, uh, 21 or 20 plus times at least to a team on a back-to-back. This is not successful basketball. Let me ask you, Sanjesh, because this is something that Brendan and I have discussed. Um, Ariza played 32 minutes in this game. And Justin James checked in, but didn't log even a full minute. Just mm-hmm. wondering your take on that distribution. Would you like to see Justin James take some of Arisa's minutes? The short answer is yes. Um, I think Ariza, uh, he came in for an eminent belief in the first quarter. And I thought he did some things that gave this team positive momentum because Belisa started off like 0-4, I think, shooting-wise. And he was struggling on defense, which has been a little theme for him uh, um, this season. Ariza came in, and I believe he got two steals in that first quarter and just gave the Kings some life on defense when they were struggling early. Um, uh, he just doesn't provide much offensively. Um, I do remember him making that one like transition three to kind of get the crowd going a little bit. But I do think Justin James should be getting minutes. I mean, the, the way that the season is going, it just gets more worse and worse, I guess you could say. And um, the only positive things that have we've seen from the season has been like you know um, guys like Justin James shining when he wasn't supposed to, uh, being a second round pick that wasn't even projected to be picked that early the way the Kings got him, but he's been performing way better than expectations. Um, his offense isn't uh, what it should be yet, but that's not a concern at the moment. That's something that will uh, progress as we go on. Um, and his defense, though he's not as long, he still provides. Um, he still provides the positive impact that we should be seeing from Trevor Reza, but we don't see it. So, yeah, it should be James that gets a little bit more of the large amounts of minutes that Ariza should be getting that we didn't really sign him for. Yeah, and I think that works with taking us into what we wanted to spend a majority of this episode on is what we had expectations-wise for guys coming into this year and how they have performed in regards to those expectations. I think that you were going to lead this one for us, right, Rich? Yeah, I think what we want to do here is, going back to that uh, mirror analogy from early on, uh, you know, we think we're going to get one thing, we maybe get another. Let's run down this roster, and I want you guys to tell me 
Uh, I'll name a player, and you tell me if you think that they have been better than expected or worse than expected or about this or about what you expected. And I think that, you know, another reason that this was actually your idea, Brendan, but I had seen a tweet earlier in the day from our friend Tim Maxwell asking, you know, name, name one player on the Kings that has truly been better than they were last year. Um, and that's of the returning players, to the Kings. So it's a little bit of a different question, but it's a good question to ask. because It's kind of, you know, it's hard to answer, but We'll start. Um, I'm just going to go by minutes played and just go down the list of the players on this team. So let's start out with, uh, and these are all, I think a lot of these are going to be tough to answer, but let's start out with Harrison Barnes. And let's start out with you, Sanjesh. Do you think that Harrison Barnes has been better than expected or, or worse than expected? Um, I, I don't think he's necessarily been better by a lot but he hasn't been worse by a lot either. The way that I see that he's fallen off was that um, that poor stretch he had when him and Buddy were both like equally struggling. Um, I think he was shooting somewhere like between 24% to 27% uh, from deep in December or something like that, uh, in that range. And he was just not the player he was when the Kings were beating teams like Dallas and Houston, being the type of ISO guy that can go and draw fouls and get buckets against shorter players, finding the mismatches. Um, playing in the post, hitting players for good looks. Um, that all fell apart in December, but we saw that glimpse back against the Pelicans where he was going against much smaller guys, finding those mismatches again, and then being able to go to line effortlessly, making his free throws. I believe he missed two, but you'll still take 80%. I think it was 8 for 10, something like that. Um, or 10 of 12 in that range. Um, but I think he's been slightly worse. He's supposed to be like the complimentary elite player or elite role player to um, the young core of the Kings. But I think he's because of that really rough December he's had, I feel like he's been worse this season, but the Pelicans game is probably a better sign to come forward coming up for Barnes. And what about you, Brennan? Yeah, it's interesting because I agree with what Sanjesh said, where he's been worse this year, but also saying that, it was because he was supposed to be this elite role player. I think that it's credited towards him just needing a larger role and really, I mean, being the one to kind of take over at times when the Kings need it. Uh, so I, I think that, I, I mean, it really is that rough stretch that brings his numbers down. But before that, I mean, he was probably the best player on the Kings for a while. Rashawn Holmes uh, holds that title now for sure. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, it, it is just somewhat what you would expect from Barnes. So I would say that about even, but the reason it feels a little bit worse is just because he's asked to pretty much do that Dallas role that he had before that clearly did not work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you both have some points. I, For my money, I'm just going to say – about what I expected. Just looking at his numbers, they're almost identical to his career numbers, so I can't get too upset about that. And I think that he is in that slump, like you're saying. I think he'll bounce back a little bit. I actually think he'll have a pretty decent year, and I'm going more on just the eye test there than the the numbers. But um, let's move on to uh, Buddy Healed, and let's go to you, Brendan, first. Uh, I mean, I mean, we all know the answer here. Yeah, go ahead. Like, Buddy has gotten way worse. It is terrible. Like, I mean, 
he has not taken an improvement in any aspect of his game. Uh, it, maybe I'm just looking at it more because the offense is terrible, but his defense is one of the worst things I see on a night-to-night basis when watching this Sacramento team. And he's asked to do a bit too much in the offensive system. He's not a dribbler. He's not a creator, even though I think the one positive I've been able to see is I think he makes uh, a little bit better reads in regards to passing. But the shot's not falling for him this year, obviously. Um, actually, to, I mean, to be fair, he's still a good three-point shooter, but he's not elite enough to make up for being so one-dimensional. Um, you know, 36 37% from three this year after 42% last year. It's just, it's clearly a worse year for Buddy Heald. I don't know what two ways to really look at it. Sanjesh? Yeah, that's yeah. He's definitely been way worse this season. Um, I also think that Darren Fox's being out for 17 games really played a large part into that, and it didn't help that Marvin Bagley's offense wasn't uh, there either because he's been injured. Um, and I don't know why Buddy Heald is being like the center of the offense, even when Fox is out there. I don't know if that's because they're still being cautious with Fox's ankle or not, and not giving him too much of a bigger workload, but. Buddy Heald should not be a creator on offense unless it's him running like off ball, curving around defenders and screens and getting good looks at threes, which I think has, I think his three pointing has been, uh, three point shooting has been a little bit better these past few games. And that's because he's getting better looks and he's not forcing things like he used to. Um, I think his rebounding is about the same as it was last year. Um, but the turnovers and the non existence on defense, you're pretty much playing five on four when Buddy Heald's on defense because people just drive by him so fast they can't keep people in front of him and that, you know, creates when people just drive by you, then you have to have, get help defense. Otherwise it's an easy bucket But when the help defense slides and slides over, then that leaves another open man. And there's not really somebody else covering up that open man. And that's why buddy healed. Um, defense doesn't make up for his offense either because his offense is, his offensive shooting has fallen off horrifically. Um, I'm hoping it starts to bounce back, but like, I feel like his um, mid range game has completely abandoned him. I don't really remember it, seeing him like being able to drill his mid-range jumpers as he was last year. I feel like he bricks them way more easily than he does now. Um, even yesterday, like when uh, Fox went up for the layup and then it got um, blocked, which should have been a goaltending by Jackson Hayes, I believe. And then Buddy Hill was right there to clean it up, and then he went up for the wide-open layup and missed it. Um, you just can't have those types of plays from a guy that you know is going to be getting paid big time soon. Yeah, he's obviously playing far worse this year. There's no question about it. Um, but it's interesting because we're talking a little bit about uh, the his passing, right, and his his initiating of the offense because that is new. Um, and Brendan wrote a good piece about this. But the question is, uh, and I want to ask you kind of a follow-up here, Brendan, is, uh, okay, so this is what's interesting to me. Luke Walton had said in a press conference recently, he said that he wants Buddy to become a better passer because when he draws gravity, when he's open and, and people, you know, opposing teams know he's a weapon shooting the ball, he's going to dra- draw one, two defenders. Uh, sometimes the whole team will, will bite on him when he's, when he's, uh, you know, he's always a weapon. He's a scoring weapon, but he said that he wants him to be able to pass out of that. And, that makes a ton of sense to me. You want him to be able to be a competent passer. You want him to improve his passing for those situations. However, that's not what's really happening. Like we're seeing at the end of the 
first quarter, uh, I pulled this video and put it up on Twitter for anyone that wants to see it. He just initiates the offense. It's the last position of the quarter. He's just slow dribbling. He's calling people around. He's calling for an ISO. He's, he's calling a clear out, and he wants to take his man. It was Josh Hart, and he just dribbles up at the three-point line and uh, gets completely caught up and just throws a terrible pass trying to get out of it. Um, like, what's going on there? And that to the question to you, Brennan, in what you when you looked at his passing, is any of the improvement coming just in passing out of uh, double coverage or passing out of a, a battery trying to find an open man? Or is it is the passing, you know, is what you saw mostly him trying to initiate yeah, it's mostly it's mostly initiating. And what Luke said in like using his gravity, you would think of these quick touch passes that I think of De'Aaron Fox mainly being probably the best on this team at doing that. Um, and yeah, a lot of it is initiating the offense. And the main thing that I focused on kind of in that piece was the read that he has developed this year is really just running a pick and roll and checking if that if the defender on the weak side covering the man in the corner is going to tag the role man, usually Rashawn Holmes. At the time of me writing the piece about a week ago, I think it was, Buddy Heald had the most assists to Rashawn Holmes out of any other player on the Kings so far this year. Um, so Buddy was just successfully reading, is that guy tagging? If not, he's able to throw either a pocket pass to Holmes he's got a little bit better at, or even a lob at times that Holmes is good at making the pass look like it was better than it was or he's swinging it over the top to the guy in the corner so I think he's doing that a little bit better but that's not how you would prefer to be using Buddy Heald and it's really just a very very basic development it doesn't make him a great passer by any means but it's just something that I didn't quite see was there last year so yeah most of it is in running that pick and roll yeah it's confusing and that's an encouraging stat that he's got the most assists to Rashawn Holmes of anyone on the team, but also he's got the most minutes of any guard on this team by a mile, right? Um, which gets us back to going down this list by minutes played. And it also easily transitions us into the next guy, which is Rashawn Holmes. And um, yeah, uh, go ahead, Sanjesh. Uh, tell us all about this. Oh, he's, the, he's the MVP of the season. There's no doubt about that. Um that's why he got the much deserved chance. I don't know what the score was thinking, but the score uh, tweeted out like what the video of the um, on Twitter. They tweeted out the video of the Kings fans chanting MVP chance for Holmes, and their tweet said, "Go home, Kings fans, you're drunk." But I mean, if anybody has paid attention to a minute of Kings basketball, they they would know that the Kings would not have 13 wins if it was not for Rashawn Holmes, who is like, I mean, I think Fox did it on a pregame against a uh, postgame against the Grizzlies, but um, uh, Rashawn Holmes has definitely exceeded expectations. I mean, he's only getting the MLE contract this year, but he sh- he should be, you know, getting a guy like Dwayne Dedman's contract probably in the future. The way he's playing, um, you know, he does everything for you. He sets good screens. He rolls to the rim. He finishes at the rim. He, you know, gives you those uh, energy type of plays on both ends, whether it's blocking or whether it's throwing down a big dunk on someone. I mean, there's not enough good things you can say about Holmes. He has a new burger now. Um, he's just doing it all on the court and off the court. Just thank God for home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, third in the entire league in field goal percentage currently, only behind Rudy Gobert and Mitchell Robinson. Um, it, like you said, I mean, he's the only guy with energy out there sometimes. It seems like the rest of the team just does not come to play basketball, and Holmes is 
giving all his effort, screaming every single game, offensive rebounds left and right, shooting 74% at the rim. His push shot is just the most absurd thing ever. Like I, my jaw <laughs> opens when he misses it. I just expect it to go in pretty much every single time at this point. Um, his defense has been surprising to me. I don't think he's been amazing in that regard necessarily, but I think he's been a passable rim protector and I was expecting most of his impact to be offensive. Um, I, I think that I, I don't think he's actually getting the award by any means, but I think he's a most improved candidate and he just has been so much more than what Kings fans would have expected. Absolutely agree. Um, one of my favorite tweets of, of late, our guy, Tony's of Terrace tweeted out the NBA logo, but Rashawn Holmes is push shot. <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I think that, I mean, I would buy that t-shirt for sure. Um, but yeah, this guy's been, he's been incredible. And what's really impressive is, uh, you know, Rashawn Holmes was putting up insane per minute numbers uh, off the bench in Phoenix. His per 36 stuff was insane last year. And it's, it's only gotten better for the most part, which is, mm-hmm incredible to to be you know doubling almost tripling your minutes and to be keeping the same efficiency or or better in some cases it's it's really unbelievable um and i think he has taken truly leaps and bounds defensively which we don't really see on the stat sheet as much so he's been every bit as good as he was in the past on offense and he's doing it in way more minutes. And then defensively, he's taken a truly forward. He is the most improved player on the Kings. And yeah, like you like you said, Brennan, I think he should be considered for the award. Um, but let's move on to the next guy here. Nemanja Bielitsa. This is kind of a tough one. Brennan, why don't you tell us uh, better or worse about what you thought, Brennan? Huh? Yeah, this is an interesting one. I, I think it's interesting because it's almost what he started the year last year doing last year. He was just so hot out of the gate. And I think he's kept it up a little bit more this year. I'll say more because I think that he's had a bit more of offensive um, demands out of him really. And just responsibilities. I I think that he showed the full package that he has offensively, a little bit of an ability to put the ball on the floor, attacking hard closeouts and guys have to, uh, close out hard, obviously, when you're shooting nearly 42% from the logo. Um, so I, I think that on the offensive end, and that's the only end that you expect to have any sort of results from Bielitsa, I would say slightly more than what I expected, but it's probably mainly due to having a larger role than what I would have expected. And what about you, Sanjesh? Yeah, I think he's been better than than I expected this season, mainly because, yeah, he had to step up because of the injuries to the front court guys, and now Dwayne Dedman isn't playing anymore, so you need his three-point shot more than ever because you can't get that from Dedman when he's inactive on the bench. And the only Kings big who can shoot the three at a consistent rate is Bielitsa. Um, but his, his defense is... I mean, the eye test can just tell it to me, and plus, like, if you look at the... Um, defensive field goals as he allows, they're really, really bad. Um, he buys some pump fakes that he shouldn't be biting on. Uh, people drive by him effortlessly. Um, he can't, you know, protect the rim, which I'm not really asking him to do, but if he's going to, if he's guarding someone at the rim, the player he's guarding is definitely going to score. Um, but for the most part, compared to everybody else on the Kings, I think he has 
conceded expectations is because he hasn't fallen off completely like he did last year when he just when I mean the level he was playing last year to start off the season was unattainable for the rest of the season. Um, I knew that and I was expecting a slump to come and a slump came and it came in hard. Um, I thought he bounced back uh, well though. And then he started off this year the same way and he hasn't fallen off and hit that big slump yet, which I'm hoping he doesn't, but he's still kept up. He has still kept up to the level that I'm expecting him to play to. And if he keeps playing like this, he's still a solid role player for the Kings that can support the core, which is what, which is all I'm asking for. And the last little part of him I want to uh, point out is just I think his passing has impressed me more than what I had seen previously. And part of it is, you know, Sacramento does tend to go to him or Barnes in the post, but I have noticed a little bit of a passing improvement from Bielitsa as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that he's a, a really talented passer. I think I had a really hot take earlier in the season where I said he's the best passer on the Kings, but uh, maybe that one's cooled off a bit. But yeah, and like the de- the de- the defensive thing, you guys are definitely right. And it was pretty glaring early in the Pelicans game where uh, mm-hmm. he basically was it was given Brandon Ingram as a as an assignment early on, and it just got roasted. And it was like, was this really the plan? Was the plan to have <laughs> the elites to guard Ingram? Like it went so poorly so quickly. Uh, it was pretty shocking, but. I'll say, you know, give this guy his props because, you know, we're going down this list by minutes played. He is fourth in minutes played so far this season, which is a lot for a guy that we view as a role player, frankly. And just went back to last season, he was fifth in minutes played last season. Like, this guy is, he's honestly more than a role player for this team. But, yeah, I give him credit. I, I think he's been doing better than expected. So... The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Let's move on to another guy here in Corey Joseph. Sanjesh, what are your thoughts on him versus his expectations? Yeah, I think Corey Joseph has, for me, has exceeded my expectations. Um, he still has like the faults that, um, that was going to come with him when the Kings signed him, especially on the offensive end you can't really rely on him to produce as much. And then you'll have those possessions where he just dribbles out the clock, tries to go inside, um, puts up a shot and then it doesn't go in. Um, the offensive limitations were exactly what I was expecting from him. So I can't be mad at him for that. And plus he had to knowingly stepping into like pretty much a starting role for a good chunk of the season when Fox went down. And I thought, you know, he did his best to hold it down as much as he could. Um, you know, the Kings got some really important wins. The Spurs loss where he turned it over twice and that span is still stuck into the back of my head. Um, but defensively, he's been just superb as expected when the Kings signed him. The contract to production level is pretty bad considering he's getting like, what, 13 plus mil. Um, and obviously the numbers don't support that, that he should be getting that type of money. But we know the Kings do have to pay to get these types of agents to come over. Um 
But for me, I think Joseph has done all he can do to help this team out. And again, that's all I can ask for. And I think he's been doing much better with since uh, Fox has come back now that he doesn't have to control the offense as much and he can just focus on playing defense. Um, and he's been hitting his threes too. Now, not that, not as um, good as I would hope, but at least he's not completely non-existent from there, which kind of is, but he still gives you like one every few games or so. Um, and hits some big timely ones from here and there. Um, but yeah, he's exceeded my expectations for sure. That's interesting. This is going to be the first one we disagree on. I think I was really high <laughs> on Joseph before. Uh, so that was part of it is I had very big expectations for him coming in. And defensively, I think he has kind of lived up to those. But on the offensive end, it's not like I was expecting him to have some major impact. But really, I thought that he was a very smart cutter. And I didn't see him in Indiana really dribbling the life out of the ball like he does in Sacramento sometimes. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, like dribbling completely under the basket and just going in circles at times. And, you know, I'm in not getting uh, passes on cuts, I think is more so due to the system. I, I think that it's a lot of pick and rolls and then move it left to right if that pick and roll isn't working well. There's not a crazy amount of back cuts going on until Harry Giles has been getting minutes recently. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that it partially is due to my high expectations of him. And um, the other part is due to the system. I think not fitting him has well offensively. I think he's a guy that also would do well if the pace picked up a little bit there. It would help to hide some of his offensive limitations. But, yeah, the defense has been about what I expected. I mean, he's a good defender there. Um, so I, I think that mainly just on the offensive end, I didn't have um, thoughts that he was going to be some crazy impact player on that end, but I didn't think he'd be such a liability. The one thing I want to quickly point out is that with the good thing with Corey Joseph is that you know he's going to give it his all every night. Um, I know that he was dealing with like some back issues, I believe, and like the heel issues. But even, and he was marked for questionable at some of those games too, but he always came in and he always gave it his all. You know, we just got to play no matter what. Um, that's what I appreciate with Corey Joseph, especially with all the injury problems the Kings have been suffering through. He's done his best to just go out there and play through them. So just props to Joseph for that. It's interesting. Corey Joseph is, uh, uh, I've just, I've been looking at his numbers throughout his career. I looked them, looked at them a lot in the summer as well when, when actually the three of us, we were on here talking about uh, off-season signings potentially. I think that you may have been on here uh, looking at the, the small forwards or maybe power forwards, maybe centers. I, I can't remember exactly. But I know that me and Brennan were pretty heavily uh, on the, the smash Corey Joseph button. We, we wanted him on this team. Uh, and I think it still could be the right decision in the long run. But just looking at his career numbers – he, he he was really bad in his rookie year, and that's understandable. Most rookies are quite bad. But then ever since then, eight years in a row, he's been really, really good. And then this year has been a career worse outside of that rookie year in basically every number you could possibly find. It's been a career low just across the board. 46% true shooting is, like, really, yeah. that is yeah. harmful. That is hurtful to a team all the defensive analytic numbers and those, you know, can be affected a lot by the team and the system you're playing in. So I can't, you know, that's where I fall on this guy is that he's been worse than expected, but I think that's probably on 
the coaching staff and on the way this team is put together. I don't think that he is guilty. Uh, but yes, he's been, he's been bad. Um, so that's my take on it personally. Um, but let's move on to a guy here that I wanted to say that just jump out in front of it and say that this is the guy for me. If I am going to make an argument that anyone has improved, anyone has shown true progress, it's Bogdan Bogdanovich. Are you with me, Brendan? Uh, I, I think it's been about the same for me, actually. Um, I, I think that I'd like to see him have the ball in his hands more than Buddy Heald running it. And, you know, he's been better lately compared to a really rough start to the year. So it, it's been somewhat improved in that regard. And I think his passing has been a bit better. But, I, I mean, for the most part for me here, it's been about what I expected. Yeah, that's fair. Let me jump in and make sure that I clarify that's of returning players too, because obviously Rashawn Holmes has been so much better than he was, but I'll make a case in a second um, just to check if I'm completely on an island here. Zenjesh, do you think that he's shown any improvement? Um, I honestly am kind of on the fence with Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, It's just really, I feel like the injuries have been bothering him way too much for me. Um, like he'll play a few games, and I, I don't think there's enough. Con, con, I'm gonna mess the word up. I don't think there's been enough consistency in Bogdanovich's play. Um, I can't really say for sure if he's been better than last season or worse. Um, I was given so much hope for uh, from what I've seen with uh, FIBA Bogey and all the hype that he built up in the World Cup, but I think the injuries have really limited what he can do. Um, his defense has kind of improved. It's definitely better than Buddy's, but it's still like not really that great either um offensively he's i think he's been better than what i expected as well um he's hitting the threes at a pretty good rate better than buddy so you can't really complain there because he's providing what buddy has been struggling to provide um despite you know battling through those injuries and trying to play to them because when uh when that stretch when fox and bagley was out bogey was that guy that the kings could just go to when they needed a bucket and then the injury started to get to bogey as well. And then he started to kind of go downhill from there. Um, and then you'll have a good game where he goes off for 20 points and shoots really well. And then he'll struggle for the next few games and fail to provide an impact. And considering that he's the best bench player and the Kings bench desperately needs a guy who can score and Bogdanovich is that guy, when he's not scoring for you, then nobody else really is. And that's why sometimes I kind of get frustrated with bogey. But for the most part, compared to most returners, I think he's been better than expected. Yeah, fair enough. I guess it's not quite um, – it's not overwhelming, the improvement. Yeah. I think that it's significant. And and mostly what I'm basing this on is because he had a really down year last year, in my estimation. Um, mm-hmm. There was – I know he, he had he, – he, look, he finished the last, like, week or two of the season. He finished strong. Um, and he started out pretty strong too, but there was a really bad stretch in last season where across 25 games, uh, I'm actually looking at it now. He shot 36% from the field, 30% from three. And this is when I was really worried. It was like around, uh, the all-star break a couple of weeks on before the all-star break and then about a month following it where he was, 
uh, a liability. And I remember look, pulling the stats at the time, and it was after the All-Star break going up until about a week before the season ended where he was the worst player in the league um, at finishing at the rim. He had the worst field goal percentage at the rim of anyone in the league. Um, and to me, it felt like when he had the ball in his hands at the end of the game, I was very nervous last season. This season, he's the only guy who I want to have the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. Does that does that uh, hold any water for you, Brendan? That argument, or am I just am I grasping at straws? Um, yeah, I, I think it's more so that everyone else is underperformed. That is <laughs> very fair. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think that's probably what I would put it on a little bit more. I, I think you guys are probably right. I guess it's it's relative relative to how he was last year and relative to how the rest of the team is this year. I think he's been a little better. The true shooting is better. The field goal percentage is up. The three-point percentage is up. The volume is up with that. So that's that's important. But um, mm-hmm. I, I guess it's not enough for me to, to really uh, feel too good about. So I'll, I'll ease off that take. And uh, – <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to find someone that I, I felt like is really making steps. And, and honestly, if he were making steps, he probably wouldn't be the guy you'd want to make steps because he's the one guy who's not under contract that yeah. needs to be re-signed. So it's it's not even win-win there. Um, but let's go to the next guy. We're getting down to it because of the injuries and because of the few minutes. There's only a few other guys we can really I'm, do. I'm assuming you left Fox off because of limited games, right? No, so I'm doing. T- I'm going down the list by total minutes played. So okay. he's going to be right at the end here, uh, but because of what you're saying. So, you know, Barnes, Heald, just to recap, we did Barnes, Heald, Holmes, Bielitsa, Joseph, Bogdanovich. Now we got Ariza, and I'd say he's the last one that we have, like, a true representative sample of, and then we can – Fox would be next, and we can kind of kind of talk about him. But Trevor Ariza, Sanjesh, what are your thoughts? Um, I think I was on with you guys for that small forward episode where we ranked some of them. Um, yeah, I was just not a fan of Ariza. I tried to buy myself into him after we signed him just to give myself some hope of what we could see. Um, and we have saw none of that this season. Um, yeah, just again, kind of like Corey Joseph, except I'm more upset about the Ariza deal than Joseph. Um, the price to production role is really bad. Um, I mean, how many points is he averaging? Do you guys know? Yeah, I got it right here. Ariza is averaging 5.3 points. I was just going to say, Corey Joseph and Ariza combined average 50 minutes a game and are scoring 11.6 points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why, that's why they need Bogey, but back, or Bogey scoring off the bench. But back to Ariza, um, how many total minutes does he play per game? Or like minutes per game? 24 minutes per game, scoring 5.3 points. Yeah, yeah, you just can't have that type of production for a guy that plays that many minutes. Um, I guess the reason why they signed him was for wing defense, but I just feel like he's kind of lost a step there. Um, his age definitely plays a factor into that. His rebounding has been okay, I guess. Uh, he provides, you know, a guy that can come in and play, you know, come in for Bielitsa and provide a few good impact plays. But then when he goes on offense and he misses a lot of shots that he should be making, um, I know I'm just kind of nitpicking here, but like the Spurs game where he had so many chances to put the game away, um, the Spurs game on the road, and they blew that, or he blew that. Um, 
yeah, I'm just not really liking what I've seen from Ariza. I didn't really have high expectations for him just because I wasn't high on him in general. And I've been even more disappointed. Um, I mean, hopefully there's a team that's going to contend that, you know, looks for some, that needs some wing help. <clears throat> Lakers um, that could, you know, probably try to make a move for Ariza, I hope. Because I know he's pretty much playing on a one-year deal with the way the contract is set up, but it's a bad one-year deal for the most part. Yeah, it's interesting because I think like like you, there were somewhat low expectations for me with Ariza. Uh, when we did break down all these potential small forwards, I watched a lot of Ariza specifically. Uh, for some reason, I got into Washington a good bit last year, and you could just tell that the effort level was not there. So you kind of knew he wasn't going to be engaged. Why is it it wasn't there in Phoenix and Washington? You can't really expect it in Sacramento, to be honest, especially mm-hmm. the way that they've been losing recently. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, and also he's more of a smart rotations and off-ball defender rather than on-ball at this point in his career. And just the communication is not there often with him and guys like Buddy uh, in regards to off-ball defense and rotations. So I think that's been disappointing. Um, and and then the three-point shooting, like, you know, it's somewhat forgivable. He's never been like this elite three-point shooter. Like he's really kind of mm-hmm. talked up to be. He has one year of being above 40%. And aside from that, he's really about 35, 34% throughout his career. So sitting at 34 so far this year is is okay. But corner threes, this year he's only 25% from corner threes when usually that's where he's a bit better sitting about 40%. He's only nine at 36 on the year. Um, so I, I think I have been a bit disappointed in certain aspects, but I kind of expected to be disappointed in ways. Yeah, he was never going to be a home run. Um, I think we, we thought that he would be a solid addition considering it's a one year deal with a non guaranteed second year. But yeah, um, I'm with you guys. It's been, it's been disappointing. So I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. We we I asked before this, and we talked about it recently, Brendan, the Justin James factor. And, you know, it's not that I want Ariza out of the rotation or anything like that, nothing crazy like that. I just think that Ariza's getting 32 minutes on a lot of these nights and James is getting zero. I just would like to see something a little, a little different, a little new. Um, so that's where I'm at with it. And then... And you guys, if you if you feel like you made Fox yet, let's go ahead and try. And if you want to give him an incomplete here, go ahead. But let's start with you, Brendan. Yeah, it's probably mainly incomplete. And the only thing I feel like I really can take note on is his free throw percentage. That was one thing that I was really keying in on, hoping that he would take a nice little leap this year. And it looks to be about the same as last year. We mentioned it at the top. Uh, that in the Pelicans game, he was only five of 11 after going eight of a really encouraging eight of eight against Memphis. Um, so if I'd like to see that take another jump and that's what really hasn't. And that's the only thing that I feel like we have a somewhat decent sample size of, uh, that I feel comfortable judging him off of. And, and, and to be fair, he is getting to the line more. I, I have liked that aggressiveness. But I worry that that aggressiveness dies down if he's not hitting those free throws. Aside from that, I mean, it's kind of what you would expect. And the rest of it, I'm going to rule incomplete since it's been 18 games. What do you think, Sanjish? 
Yeah, I can't really give a complete thing for Fox at the moment. Um, I do believe, just like Bogdanovich, he's kind of struggling with the um, consistency issues here, especially dealing with that injury. Um, since he's come back, he's kind of been on and off. Like, one game, you'll see him completely dominate the way he should be dominating on a nightly basis. Um, like the Houston game, I believe. He think he had a really good game for that one when he just controlled every aspect of the game on offense. Like, the Kings just couldn't breathe when he was off the floor. When he comes in, then they give life again. Um, and that also was the case against the Pelicans. I mean, excuse me, uh, the Grizzlies, where he had a fantastic game, um, moving the ball, you know, hitting shots. Uh, guys just kind of fed off that. But when Fox isn't controlling the game, when he's not aggressive, then things tend to fall apart. And that's why the Kings need an aggressive Darren Fox. And an aggressive Darren Fox is also an all-star caliber player. And when you don't get that all-star caliber player on a game-to-game basis or when he just disappears for a few games and then decides to become aggressive, then that kind of, you know, ruins the Kings' potential because I think this team goes where Fox can take them, especially if they start pushing the pace more with Fox because you have the fastest downhill player, um, you know, use that instead of being you know, trying to be a team to implement, trying to be a team that's trying to implement their own system when the system should be based around the guys on your team, like Darren Fox, who is solely based on his incredible speed. Um, and, yeah, that's why I can't really give him a complete grade yet, but I do like what I'm seeing from Fox. I just like to see more of what I like to see from Fox, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I will withhold judgment. I just don't think that he's had enough time with the fully healthy team. And also just understanding that he made such a big jump last year that it was kind of hard to place expectations. We can't I personally don't feel like I could expect him to get a ton better, um, just considering how much better he got from his first year to second year. Um, and then after him, you know, we're getting down to it. I'll I'll read off some names. Listen, we're going to ignore Dwayne Dedman. We all know the deal. <laughs> uh, we won't even discuss that. But if you guys want to chip in some thoughts on these guys with less than 400 minutes played, Yogi Ferrell, Marvin Bagley, Justin James, and Harry Giles are probably the only ones we can really speak on at all. Wenyon Gabriel's played 50 minutes. Caleb Swanigan, 13. Daquan Jeffries, 11. But uh, I'll, I'll pass it around. Anyone in there you want to say anything about at all here, Brendan? Yeah, I just want to mention Justin James because I think that it, was he, what, the 40th pick in the draft? And we had no clue who Justin James was. Uh, and I think that the minutes that he is out there, that he's just a ball of energy and maybe it's not always used in the right ways, but he seems like a serviceable NBA player at some point throughout his career. And I think that's just a positive in itself for being the 40th pick. Um, so it, it's been over my expectations and then the rest uh, still just have an asterisk on it where I need to see a little bit more here. Yeah, I'm going to quickly say something about Justin James. I think he's definitely exceeded expectations, even though he hasn't played um, a whole lot of minutes. But there are a lot of of positive signs to take from those limited minutes as well. And it makes a good reasoning that why he should be getting those minutes over Trevor Ariza right now. Um, I do do really think that one guy that would, you know, become a good element to this team if the pace was established more or implemented more or started more is Justin James, because I think there was, I mean, they haven't been pushing the pace a lot, but I feel like the energy and the athleticism that Justin James brings would bring a lot more to the table 
if this team just started to run way more often. Um, I don't remember exactly what game it was, but it was a game where Fox, Bagley, and James were on the floor. It might have been um, either the Hornets on the road or the Pacers on the road, one of those games. But the Kings, they got the rebound. Fox got the ball. They pushed the pace. Fox stood up to James. James was about to go up for a layup, but he turned around with Bagley running behind him, fed it off to Bagley, and Bagley had a two-headed, big two-headed dunk. And I think that the Kings would benefit more, obviously, if they uh, ran the pace. And I feel like Justin James would become a good player to come off the bench that you can rely on to push the pace as well and provide some good athletic moments, which he's done despite being on the court for a short amount of time. And there was, I don't remember if it was Jason Jones or Jason Anderson had a piece about how Justin James just talks so much and it was hilarious to see. And the, the funniest thing is just, he is always cheering his ass off on the sideline. Like mm-hmm. shout out to Justin James for always being out of his seat. Every time Buddy Heel throws up a three, Justin James is the only guy in the stadium that expects it to go in at this point. He is just an amazing he just seems like a good energy even when he's on the bench. He's kind of taken over that a lady committee leader from Frank Mason when he left for the Bucks. <laughs> Absolutely. Um I don't have much else to say here. I, I will say, even though Bagley obviously is getting an incomplete grade, you know, nine, nine games is not nothing. Um, and I have not been tremendously encouraged by those nine games. We need him to be taking huge steps. Can't take steps when you're hurt. So, you know, that is what it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Kings desperately need this guy to get a lot better quickly, and I, I don't really have anything more to say about it. Yeah, and they need him to stay healthy too, but the thing that really sucks with Bagley is that, you know, we really wanted to see what Bagley could be when he had Dwayne Dedman alongside him. You know, if hmm. Bagley plays the four on defense and Dedman plays the five, then you reverse those roles on offense and let Bagley take the space in the paint and let Dedman, you know, sit out in corners or be wherever he needs to be above the break if necessary. Things like that can really open things up for Bagley, but the way things have headed south so quickly, we might never get to see that. Um, I hope that doesn't really like, you know, negatively, negatively impact Bagley's uh, development. If he's able to stay on the court for a long amount of time without getting hurt. Um, Yeah. That's one thing I'm going to be really sad about if Denman does get traded that we never got to see what these two could really be together. Yeah, and I think uh, just on Bagley that he was a raw prospect when Sacramento got him initially. I think that he's going to take a couple of years to really get there. And before he does take that leap, similar to like a Brandon Ingram, who's another really raw guy. I know there are a little bit of different roles here. I guess maybe they both play a 3-4 according to Vlade. But um, yeah, I, I think that he's just going to take a little bit of time to take that jump that we're expecting. Uh, but it has been underwhelming the minutes that we've seen from him. Do we maybe want to close it with who we think maybe starting, who do we think is the biggest who has overperformed your expectations the most going into this year? It might be an easy one for this one. Yeah. I think it's the easy one. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Um, It's Rashawn Holmes. Let's just do most. And and, I mean, it's Rashawn Holmes and Dwayne Dedman for, for most, for best and worst. Versus and I wasn't right. going to count Deadman and then put healed there instead, but Deadman works just as well. 
Yeah, that other one, if, if we're taking Devin out, it's a little more up for debate because I think there's – honestly, there's a lot of candidates for that at that point. But I'll, I'll just say Holmes and Devin for me and that, that it's simple enough. I'd say Holmes. I wouldn't go with Heald. Um, I would probably go with maybe Ariza most likely. Yeah, you know, just as we've been talking about this, uh, you know, we talked about the, the, the points per game from Ariza and Joseph. Just I've been looking at it while we were recording this free agent class. So let's take out, let's take Holmes aside for a second. He was, uh, you know, signed with an exception and he is the exception to the whole free agent class. But Ariza, Corey Joseph and Deadman combined, listen to this, combined this year. Making thirty-seven point five million, playing sixty-three point six minutes per game together, scoring only sixteen point one points per game. Oof. And that's gonna do it for this episode of the Sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> you should have you tweeted that out? You should tweet that out. I'm literally composing it right now. <laughs> that is yeah, that is a that's really a good stat to put out there. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the Deadman one is obviously the worst one there. And yeah, I mean, just disappointing. It, it doesn't even feel like individual things for the most part. Like you kind of want to put it on the system, a combination of both, but yeah. Yeah. Depressing stat there. Well, that'll do it. Yep. Thanks for listening guys. Uh, <laughs> it can only get better from here. Oh God. Or Thanks to everybody for the, listening. The Warriors come in tomorrow. <laughs> right. Let's just uh, not talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> everyone's hurt. I mean, that's got to be a win. If that's not a win, we'll, we will. I, here's what I'll say. Oh, shit. If, uh, Rich. if the Kings don't beat the Warriors without Curry, without Thompson, <laughs> without uh, Draymond, without Kevin Looney, without D'Angelo Russell, all these guys not playing tomorrow. Uh, if they don't win this game, we will do a podcast about the uh, whether or not the Kings should fire Vladi Divac. I'll just say it that that's the po- that's what the podcast should be if that's if that's a loss. But wow. there we go. Well, thanks for coming on, Sanjesh. Appreciate you taking the time, man. Thank you for having me once again. Anything you want to plug while you're here, real quick? Anything I want to plug? Uh, no, I don't think I have anything at the moment. All right, for sure. Go read him on STR as you normally do. Follow him on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that'll do it. Yep. Thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. Hear from us again in the next couple of days. For the one standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com/safety or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done.